0: Thanks for joining us. Coming up on NTD Business. Former President Trump arrives in New York City today as he prepares to surrender himself to the Manhattan District Attorney. We tell you what to expect tomorrow. Big names like the New York Times refusing to pay Twitter for the blue check mark. This after Musk's Twitter removed the company's verified status. Two of the biggest names in wrestling and entertainment merging together. UFC's parent company acquiring WWE in a multi-billion dollar deal. OPEC Plus cutting oil production up to a million barrels a day, should you expect higher prices at the pump. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Good to have you with us. Don Ma here. Former President Donald Trump arrived in New York City this afternoon as he prepares to surrender himself to the Manhattan District Attorney. After a grand jury indicted him last week. Under normal procedures, he would then be fingerprinted, have his mugshot taken, and be read his Miranda rights. He would then be arrayed at a courtroom in the same building. A copy of the indictment with details revealing these charges would be given to his legal defense team. Here's Entities Jeremy Sandberg with more what to expect tomorrow.
1: The former president is expected to arrive at the Manhattan Courthouse Tuesday morning at 11 o'clock a.m. local time. His arraignment is scheduled for 2.15 p.m. Streets around the courthouse will be locked down, with a heavy NYPD and Secret Service presence. A Manhattan grand jury voted to indict Trump on Thursday last week. The exact charges are unknown, as the indictment is still sealed. Two sources familiar with the matter told the Associated Press he is facing multiple charges of falsifying business records, including at least one felony offence. They spoke on condition of anonymity to discuss information that is not yet public. Former U.S. Attorney General Bill Barr says, from a legal standpoint, the case against Trump seems pathetically weak.
2: It's the uh, archetypal uh, abuse of the prosecutorial function to engage in uh, a political hit job, and uh, it's a disgrace.
1: Trump denies any wrongdoing and says he's the victim of extortion. Trump's lawyer, Joe Tacopina says Tuesday is just the beginning. He says he will dissect the indictment once he gets it and devise the next legal
2: steps. We will take the indictment. We will dissect it. Um, the team will look at every every um, potential issue that we, we will be able to challenge, and we will challenge it. And of course, I very much anticipate a motion to dismiss coming because there's no law that fits this.
1: A judge could issue a gag order to stop Trump from talking about the case. It could bring fines and jail time if he breaks silence. Trump could appeal the order if he feels it's interfering with his ability to inform voters. The 2024 presidential candidate is set to deliver remarks Tuesday night in Florida at Mar-a-Lago following the arraignment. Jeremy Sandberg,
0: NTD News. Trump's campaign says it has raised more than $4 million in the 24 hours since his indictment was announced. According to a statement released today, the average donation was $34, and more than 25% of donations came from first-time donors. It's the first time in U.S. history that a current or former president has faced criminal charges. The Manhattan DA was reportedly investigating Trump for allegedly misclassifying a supposed hush money payment. It was during the 2016 campaign to adult film actress Stormy Daniels. It was to cover up a purported affair, which Trump has denied. Trump also denies any wrongdoing and took to social media today, calling the case a witch hunt. NTD will actually have a live coverage of Trump's case tomorrow. It starts at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time, so be sure to tune in to stay updated on the events and hear analysis as we learn the details. The New York Times lost its verified checkmark status on Twitter on Sunday. The move comes after CEO Elon Musk announced efforts to crack down on users avoiding payments. A spokesperson for the newspaper says it won't pay the monthly fee to get it back. Twitter's new policy says that verified checkmarks are now offered only through a paid subscription. Organizations will have to fork up $1,000 a month to obtain gold checkmarks, while individuals can get blue checks for a starting price of $7 in the U.S. Musk later called the New York Times hypocritical for being aggressive about making people pay for their subscription, while refusing to do the same for Twitter. Joining me now is Andrew Salabak, social media professor, University of Florida. Now, I'm sure you've been following uh, the the headlines, all the headlines about the blue check mark this morning. Uh, Let me get your thoughts on why do you think Musk is doing this, what's his motive?
3: I think part of it is that we know Musk announced recently that the value of Twitter is at 20 billion, and you know he obviously paid twice as much for that. So there's an aspect of the uh, the blue check mark that's attempting to be some kind of revenue generator. It's not. Um, I-, I believe it's only raised. Uh, Kind of a couple million dollars for Twitter. So, in terms of it being a significant revenue generator, it, it's not done that. Um, I think what we're really looking at is this kind of goes back to Musk's overall kind of belief with the platform that it should be more equal, that there's a need for greater equality. Previously, before Musk took over with the blue check mark, it was almost unclear how certain people were granted this checkmark and what that checkmark meant. If it meant that this was a trusted source, if this meant that the uh, we knew who actually was behind the name, behind the image, um, and then how it was being granted. And it was being granted very unevenly. So with this, and, and while it is a bit of a pay to play, uh, what we do know is that this is done more equitably, this is done more equally, because everybody potentially has the ability to have a check mark next to their name.
0: What do you say to the argument that before you, know, you had to earn it, now all you have to do is pay for it? Does that diminish the value of this uh, blue check mark?
3: Well, again, it was kind of unclear how you actually earned it. Um, I can tell you specifically from a personal perspective, I tried to earn it, um, but what you had to essentially do was apply whether, well, some people it was granted upon them by Twitter, other people could apply to get the blue check mark, and the that the way it was decided as to who met the Twitter qualifications of who could then be eligible for it was often very limited to certain groups, certain people, um, which meant that there were certain people who were just going to be left out.
0: OK, let me just get your uh, comments on the specific backlash that uh, we're hearing this morning. You know, the, uh, NYT, uh, a lot of other celebrities as well. Uh, uh, they're they're refusing to pay for this i'm sure money is not a problem for them what do you make of all this are they making a statement
3: well i think you know what we have is most people if we're being honest don't want to pay for media um there's a reason why most newspapers have basically fallen away you know they tried to do a subscription service people didn't want to pay for it we don't really pay for social media there's paying for ads, paying to boost posts. LinkedIn offers some opportunities for maybe HR directors to pay for certain features. But we don't necessarily expect to be paying for social media to be paying for media. And I think it's kind of going against what we have been doing when it comes to online for quite some time. At the same time, I understand if you've had something for a long time and it's being taken away from you and and someone says, well, you had it in the past. Now you have to pay me for it. I could also understand why there would be pushback on that. I think it's sort of an issue that's in between. I can understand where, if I was a celebrity, if I was the New York Times, I would you know, question why I suddenly have to pay for this thing. I had been given according to previous rules, and now the rules are being changed. I can also understand from the perspective of people who weren't granted the check mark in the past, saying, well, you know, now I have access to it, I want it. So I, I think where it is is kind of in the middle right now.
0: All right, that's all the time we have today, Andrew. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. And Italy has become the first Western country to ban an artificial intelligence chatbot over data privacy concerns. An Italian watchdog group says there's no way to verify the age of chat GPT users, and that's a concern. NTD Marshall has more.
4: Italy has temporarily banned chatbot GPT due to concerns over the potential for data collection from children making Italy the first Western country to enact restrictions on artificial intelligence chatbots. I spoke with Wake Forest professor Jed McCosco for his reaction.
5: So people
3: think that that this is a little bit hypocritical, um, but what I see is happening is, you know, the Italian government just wanted to slow things down, and this was maybe the first way that they could justify it.
4: Italy's deputy prime minister Matteo Salvini on Sunday criticized the decision by the government's data protection authority, saying the block over privacy concerns seemed excessive.
3: No website can prove uh, the age of a child before they sign up for a service. It's it's uh, never been able to be like, you know, go go find your mom and you know something like that. Show us your birth certificate. N- nothing like that has ever been done. So. It's a little bit holding ChatGPT to a higher standard, is what, uh, what the minister said in his tweet.
4: The chatbot is also unavailable in mainland China, Hong Kong, Iran, Russia, and parts of Africa, where residents cannot create open AI accounts. Glimpse Innovation VP, Jake Maymar, has been following AI developments for over 10 years and says things are moving a lot faster than anticipated.
2: So we really need to get guardrails in place, uh, to protect, um, privacy and just basically the population in general. Um, and so, um, by saying it's excessive, um, I think, I think it's not, I think you really want to understand what kind of technology you have, um, roll it out slowly.
4: Germany could follow in Italy's footsteps by blocking ChatGPT. Over data security concerns, the German Commissioner for Data Protection told the newspaper in comments published Monday. Germany has requested further information from Italy on its temporary ban. Sean
0: Marshall, NTD News. Endeavour Group said today it will acquire entertainment firm World Wrestling Entertainment, or WWE. Endeavor is the parent of the popular UFC mixed martial arts franchise. The deal is valued at over $9 billion. NTD's Christina Kim reports.
6: World Wrestling Entertainment will combine with Endeavor Group's mixed martial arts franchise, UFC. They will form a new publicly listed entertainment company valued at around $21 billion. It merges two of the biggest names in wrestling and entertainment and completes a months-long sale process for WWE. Endeavor is led by Hollywood power broker Ari Emanuel, who will take charge at the merged entity. WWE is a global entertainment giant which led to the rise of movie stars like Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Dave Bautista. In January, WWE said it would explore strategic options for a sale. It came shortly after Vince McMahon, who held a majority of WWE's stock, returned to the company. McMahon regularly appeared as major characters on television, even competing in matches himself. He retired last year as company CEO and chair due to an investigation into his alleged misconduct. But he will now keep his role at the new company.
0: The company said the new firm would be listed under ticker symbol TKO on the New York Stock Exchange. On Wall Street, stocks ended mixed today. The Dow rose 327 points, or 1%. S&P added 15 points, or 0.4%. And the Nasdaq fell 32 points, or 0.3%. And the price of oil surged today after OPEC Plus producers announced surprise cuts to output. WTI, the U.S. benchmark, rose nearly 5.5% to $80 a barrel. While global benchmark Brent crude jumped 5% to $84 a barrel. This comes after oil prices dropped last month following the turmoil in the banking sector. Saudi Arabia's energy ministry says its reduction in output is a precautionary measure to support the stability of the oil markets. The reduction will start in May and last through the end of the year. The reductions are on top of those announced by OPEC Plus in October, which were the largest cut since the start of of the pandemic. This development could mean inflation remains higher for longer. Joining me is Tom McNulty, oil analyst, president of T.J. McNulty Company. Now, Tom, it seems like uh, this took everyone by surprise, at least a lot of people, right? Maybe you just, we'll start from there. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it depends who you talk to. I think
2: it's fair to say it was a, a surprise, but there there's always a, a chatter kind of in the background of what OPEC and OPEC Plus will do you know, and the more likely they'd cut rather than release more barrels. So it's important to understand that the actual barrels will, will vary. You know, it's a complex organization. It doesn't have complete discipline. So when they come out with a number, they really can't control everybody in that group.
0: Sure. I think they said 1.16 million barrels or something like that. What's yeah. your best guess as to why they're doing this? Uh, I think it's to
2: stabilize the market. I don't think it's to drive it up as much as some commentators have touched on. If you look at the forward curve, look at CME, NYMEX, you know, the the curve out a year or beyond hasn't moved that much. So I think that there was trading up today, went up 8 percent, Brent and WTI, then, uh, then it dropped down to about plus six. I mean, gasoline was up about six cents. I think that it's an attempt to assert themselves. To remind the world that they have market power, and to basically stabilize the market so it doesn't fall further. But I don't think it is designed to drive oil to 100, 110, 120. I mean, I just, I just don't think that's the intent.
0: All, all the media outlets, a lot of them, are talking about an upcoming recession, right? And demand goes down for oil when, when a recession hits. Do you think that was a factor? Yeah, I think
2: that's part of it, but it's also a question of where the recession is. I mean, I think that there could be demand flattening or declining in the developed world, but it looks to me like demand is still very strong in the developing world, particularly Asia. Yes, there the threats of recession, Europe, North America worldwide, probably scared OPEC, OPEC Plus a bit. But I think it's it's largely to try to kind of show their muscle in the market.
0: And what about... Prices at the pump—is that going to have an effect?
2: Yeah, it, uh, the the main contract here is you probably know RBOB, the RBOB gasoline contract did trade up. Uh, I think it was the last time I looked it was up about six cents a gallon. I, you know, I I see it maybe ten to twelve cents a gallon, although we are going into the summer months, but not I you know I don't see it as causing a large, you know, really measurable spike at this time.
0: THIS NEWS, uh, IS THAT GOING TO CHANGE THINGS? Is, IS THERE GOING TO BE AN IMPACT ON AMERICAN PRODUCERS?
2: I mean, I, I'VE ALWAYS MADE THE ARGUMENT THAT IF YOU'RE AN OIL COMPANY, YOU KNOW, MAKE OIL. If you, IF YOU MAKE CARS, YOU MAKE CARS AND TRUCKS AND YOU SELL THEM. IF YOU'RE AN OIL COMPANY, YOU SHOULD BE MAKING BARRELS OF CRUDE OIL AND CUBIC FEET OF NATURAL GAS. AND, and THERE'S A LOT OF GAMESMANSHIP WITH WALL STREET AND, and, and FINANCING, a RETURN OF CAPITAL. IT'S GETTING TO BE, IN MY VIEW, FAIRLY OLD. IF YOU'RE AN OIL COMPANY, BE AN OIL COMPANY uh production from north america should increase the, the north american complex and you could even include perhaps mexico in that pemex should be producing more to help the market to make it more stable secure and not as volatile and you know kind of concentrated in some parts of the world that are having geopolitical issues right now so i do think producers should produce more you know it's up to each individual company Independence versus the big integrated companies. But I, I've always said that, you know, you've know you heard me say this, we should be aiming toward 15 million barrels a day in the U.S. in, in production. It's just better for everybody.
0: Yeah, there, there's a lot to be talked about on this topic, but thank you so much today for uh, coming on the show. Always a pleasure talking to you. Great to see you. All right. We're taking a break now, but if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please email us at business at NTD.com. Still to come, McDonald's employees bracing for layoffs as the restaurant temporarily closes U.S. offices. And white-collar workers are getting fired far more than other groups. But normally, it's blue-collar workers that are first to go. So what's behind this flip? That and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Some McDonald's employees are about to be not loving it. The restaurant has told all corporate employees to work from home this week in anticipation of layoffs. This is according to the Wall Street Journal. McDonald's CEO warned staff about job cuts back in January. The company said it would review corporate staffing levels as part of an updated business strategy. It's unclear how many employees will be laid off. Sales were up about 11% last year, and Mickey D's is planning to open just shy of 2,000 new restaurants this year. And McDonald's is just the latest in a bigger trend, which is that firms are laying off much of their white-collar workers. Meta may lay off up to 21,000, Amazon 18,000, Disney 7,000, Ford 3,000. The list goes on. High-skilled, white-collar professionals are being laid off in greater numbers than any other type of worker. Today, we try to find out why that is. Often, during difficult economic times, blue-collar and service workers lose their jobs first. It's like construction workers, restaurant servers, and landscapers, for example. Part of the reason is because businesses can replace these positions easier. Now, white collar workers are usually the last to go. They are accountants, doctors, and computer programmers. These positions are harder to eliminate because it's harder to replace. It makes sense if you think about it because it takes a lot of time and money to become an accountant, even more so for doctors. So there are fewer of them in comparison. So then why are white collar workers recently losing their jobs more? We spoke to someone who's seeing this firsthand, Izzy Galicia. He's a business consultant and president of the InSito Consulting Group. Galicia says a big reason for this is that businesses overhired during the pandemic.
4: Many organizations were hiring white collar workers, uh, primarily around special projects, expansion, new product development, things of that nature. And now, post pandemic, now they're creating some stability. Organizations are starting to recreate their strategy. Where are we going to be in the next three to five years? What are some of the challenges that we see? And essentially, what are the resources we're going to need moving forward?
0: For example, Disney dumped its team working on the Metaverse project. They'll have to sideline it for now as interest rates rise. On the other hand, why are blue-collar type workers not losing their jobs as much? We talked to economist John Dunham. He's actually looking at publishing a research paper on this very topic. He spent 30 years studying the economics of business. Dunham says there's a huge shortage of these types of jobs.
7: Plumbers, carpenters, roofers, electricians, mechanics. And those those jobs are wanting for labor right now. There's just not enough people going into them. So you're not going to see you're not going to see layoffs there. You're going to continue to see hiring. There's there's something like, 50, 50 million uh plumber. I mean not 50 million, 50, plumbers short uh, the country is right now. The
0: number of people working production jobs is also declining. That's like assembly line workers, food processors, and metal workers. Dunham says a lot of it has to do with a big cultural shift.
7: There tends to be a stigma associated with those types of jobs people people are encouraged to go get four-year college degrees they're not encouraged to to go into uh you know plumbing or electric you know to become an electrician also schools you know they're 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 not really focusing on on those you don't you don't see shop classes in
0: school anymore that used to be a big deal So before the struggle was to replace an accountant, now the struggle is replacing a plumber, for example. But economists still believe overall layoffs will continue. As the economy slows down, layoffs could potentially move beyond white collar jobs. Still to come after the break, Americans expecting mortgage rates to soar above 8%. But will they? An analyst weighs in. We'll have that story after the break. Welcome back. Mortgage rates are trending down lately following the recent bank collapses. Still, households are expecting rates to top 8% a year from now. NTD's Andrew Thomas reports on how the banking crisis, inflation, and interest rates are impacting potential home buyers.
8: Inflation, interest rate hikes, the banking crisis, and fears of a recession are weighing on potential home buyers. Where the mortgage rate is heading is another factor to consider. One analyst suggests looking at the yield of the 10-year Treasury note for indications.
5: Mortgage rates actually track the 10-year Treasury much more closely than they do Fed actions. Um, The 10-year Treasury could well fall if there are economic worries, if there's a recession, if the banking crisis
8: gets worse. The Fed also only expects to hike rates by a quarter or half point.
5: We think there's a good chance that if inflation has peaked, mortgage rates have peaked, and that's probably the case.
8: Rossman expects mortgage rates to hover between 5.5 and 6.5 percent in the near term.
5: Mortgage rates peaked in this cycle at a little over 7 percent last fall. The current national average for the 30-year fixed is 6.66 percent. It's been kind of bouncing in the low to mid sixes um, you know, for most of, of this year so far.
8: But recent bank failures are also making an impact on mortgage rates.
5: The bank failures are actually one of the factors keeping a lid on mortgage rates, because the bank failures have made investors nervous. And that's definitely something that can bring rates down, You know, especially over the long
8: haul. Inflation, rate hikes, bank failures and economic uncertainty are a lot of factors to consider. But Rossman advises potential home buyers to stick to the fundamentals.
5: Is this a home and a neighborhood that you can see yourself in for at least, let's say, five to ten years? You know, beyond that, do you have a sufficient down payment?
8: Is your job stable? For new home buyers, it's certainly a lot to consider. Andrew Thomas, NTD News.
0: And that's all today from the NTD business team and myself, Don Mike. And follow me on Twitter if you're there. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at ntd.com. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you tomorrow.